This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Reclaiming Families. We're glad that you're here with us. We missed an exciting milestone to celebrate. I don't even know if Randy knows this, but this is our 11th episode of Reclaiming Families. That that is so cool. Yeah, I feel like 10 would have been the good one to celebrate, but honestly, we forgot that it had been 10. Oh, it was a two-part series. No, 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 it it was Ashley. Yeah, Ashley. We didn't ever say it, but it is our 11th episode, and... We're so thankful that you all have stuck with us this far. I feel like things are going well, and we're still enjoying it. Oh, yeah. We've had some great ones. Like, Ashley was an awesome episode. Uh, Dr. Humphreys was incredible. Lindsay. Lindsay, yeah. And so I, I love our guests. I love having guests on. Yeah, the guest episodes are some of our favorites. So if you have anyone that you're like, man, they would be so good to talk about this um this topic with gender or marriage, family, sexuality, then direct message us on Instagram or Facebook because we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to get some some new people on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got our list, but eventually our list will, will uh, run out. Run out. And yeah. so we want to keep it keep it building, keep it growing. But today we want to talk about um, a topic that we've heard recently and Hillary's been thinking a lot of and it's about this idea that you can't unknow what you already know. Yeah. And let that sink in for a second. You cannot unknow <laughs> what, what you, you know. already know. Yeah, I think we were listening to a um, Al Moore, the briefing podcast. It, it was, I think it was Harry Reader. I listened to a Harry lot Reader. of Harry Reader. That's right. And so two great podcasts to listen to. But he was really talking about nuclear bombs. And he was talking about, uh, we're not making a decision on nuclear bombs, if they're good or bad or... <laughs> Um, but we're just saying that um, if you were to get rid of all the nuclear bombs in the world, it would not matter because the we knowledge. still know how to make them. Yeah, and right? you can't unknow how to make them. That's right. That that knowledge will never be gotten rid of. Yeah. Um, and that's what he was kind of hitting around that. And then he started talking about just the essence of really sin in the garden with Eve. He didn't talk about that, but that's kind of where my mind started to go to because I think he began to put words to something that I had always felt where it's like so often, I think in just struggles with different sins throughout my whole Christian life, I've kind of thought like, oh, I just wish I had never experienced this for the first time. Or I wish I, you know, never, I just wish I never knew this because if I didn't know it, then I wouldn't still be struggling with this today. And so, um, I mean, just kind of a dumb example, um, but an example in my life right now, it's not necessarily sin, but it could be, is these King Arthur gluten-free brownies. I Jeebers, think, I wish my wife never found out about those things. Yeah, and now that I've tasted them, like I want them all the time. I crave it. Yeah. Like, pretty regularly like it is a fight for me as dumb as it sounds i know but it's like a real look into to my heart is every time i go like past that aisle in the grocery store i am fighting like sometimes i pick them up and then put them back on the shelf pick them up put them back on the shelf she's not gonna tell you this but i'll tell you 
It's uh, one day she had these brownies, and it was for Ellie's birthday party. No, it wasn't. It was, yeah, it was. It was for Ellie's birthday party. And you know what she did? <laughs> you know what my wife did? She ate the whole top layer of all the brownies <laughs> and then put icing on it to cover up where she had eaten those brownies and then took them to the party and let our friends eat all those brownies <laughs> or what was left of them because she couldn't control herself and she had to have those chocolate brownies. And so... <laughs> While that might be true, the fact that if I would have never tasted the first bite of King Arthur gluten-free brownies, I would never know what that experience was like. I would not have spiraled down to where I ate the top of off, off of our daughter's birthday brownies and then covered it with icing. It's so shameful to even say. You know, but so I love my wife, and they are super good brownies, especially to be gluten-free and you know, dairy free they are really good but, better than uh, normal but it's the idea that hey we can be plagued by what we do know by what we do know and a lot of times we think we're plagued by what we don't know but the opposite is true we're plagued by what we do know that's right and it goes back to the garden of eden yeah so you know that's uh yeah you know, you're probably familiar with the story of the fall Right. When uh, the, you know, a serpent comes to Eve and tempts her with what she doesn't know. It talks about the knowledge of good and evil. And up at that point, you know, there was only, Eve only had one rule. She had the freedom to explore and be curious. And so a lot of times it, it kind of, this story is told like, there's this one big rule that she couldn't do. But it's like, think about being in the, the garden and all of these trees, all of these plants, and the freedom to explore them all. And then just one tree, the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that she was supposed to not eat from. And then this, up until that point, you know, she had to trust God. Um, and she had to trust him for what is good. And she was innocent. With this one rule, she had not broken it. Her and Adam, they were innocent. Yeah. And that innocent state, it really is. Um, that's kind of what we're, you know, this episode is kind of wanting to value. is just the innocence of Eve and Adam at this point in time. And uh, just the idea of not knowing sin. She's yeah. never known rebellion against God. And when I think about innocence, it's so close related oftentimes to purity. And so it's not what our culture says, but but we'll get into that in a second. So Eve, obviously we know the story at this point. Eve took a bite of the fruit. And at that point, God's word says her and Adam's eyes were opened. We don't fully know what that means, but we do know at that point she knew good and evil. And from that point on, there were some things that Eve could not unknow. The first would probably be the taste of the fruit. I don't know if it tasted good or bad, but however it tasted, Eve knew it. She knew it. At that point. What are some other things that she could not unknow? You know, she couldn't unknow the shame of breaking God's commandment, mm-hmm. of disobeying God. You know, it says that she was naked um, and she knew that she was naked. Yeah. And uh, she could not unknow that she was naked and and uh, the shame that it was accompanying 
being naked before God. Yeah. And from that point on, she would experience brokenness in all of her relationships. So she now knew relational brokenness. And gosh, a big thing is that she would know death. Um, And so I think that's a really big thing. And so when she ate and was out of the garden, she was feeling the effects of sin. You know, I can imagine that she would have done just about anything to go back to the garden and to just be innocent again. You know, like, try to sit in that for a second and just, you have, you've always been fully innocent. You've always been completely pure. You've never disobeyed God. You've never known shame. You've never known brokenness. You never even knew you were naked. And then in an instant, you make a decision to say, God, I know better. I'm curious. I want this. You're deceived. You want to know this. That's right. Yeah, you want to know it. And so you take and you eat. And then your world is just changed. It goes upside down. And you would do anything to take it back for that innocence to be restored. And I think I think we, we know that. I think we've experienced that. I think really probably everybody has experienced this. Oh my gosh, I've made a horrible decision. My innocence is lost in many different arenas. And it's like this, what have I done? I can't go back. Yeah. I can't unknow it. And so the thing though that we're really wanting to hit on right now is that there are so many situations in um, and examples of this that attack men and women and marriage and families that's just this um, one second you don't know and then in one poor decision you do know and it affects you for the rest of your life. Um, and so what are some examples of that? Yeah, we're just some of them starting out. We, we kind of wrote down a few notes, but um, just the euphoria of drugs. Yeah. And uh, the feeling of, you know, the world being out of control and, um, you know, the comfort that comes from drugs, the comfort that comes from alcohol. Yeah. And uh, just that feeling of um, peace, euphoria, and... Um, all, all that goes with drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. And being able to escape through it. Yeah. But not totally. And and that's something, you know, when when someone continues to go to an escape through a substance, it does wreck the family. That person, um, you know, alcohol and drug abuse is one of the, the leading things that causes abuse and neglect, uh, domestic violence, and even not as severe as that, just like an absent-minded parent or or sibling that is not fully present in the home Um, another thing another example is gossip Um, you know I think it's I don't it it might just be my personality I actually feel I was gonna say everybody struggles with this but honestly Randy probably doesn't Um, I mean I I talk about people yeah for sure but anytime I see a group of people that are like talking about something and laughing or like I immediately want to know what they're talking about, and I want to be a part of the fun. Um, like, to know 
that some kind of drama is going to go without me knowing about it is like painful to me. And yeah. I know that's bad in my own heart. But how that affects me as a woman is if I learn a piece of information about someone, then my views of them also begins to change. So it's not always good that I know this juicy piece of gossip that's going on about uh, someone else. That's right. Yeah, the effects long term, you know, might be more than you bargained for. Mm-hmm. Right. Short term, it was like, oh, that's so funny. Gosh, so and so is such an idiot, or you know. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you, or they did what, and then um, you're right. The long term, your views change. You know, another way to put it is overeating. Like you can, uh, when you know the. Like the pleasure of eating food. It's like those gluten-free brownies. Yeah, and I think we were made to know the pleasure of eating food, but the pleasure of just in, I guess like eating, oh, indulging, overindulging, and and uh, and how that can just lead to a life where you have just no energy, like you are out of shape. You have no energy to give to your family, to give to your um, your community, um, to give to those around you. Like you are. You know, you're a, you've become lazy, lethargic because of this knowledge of, man, I really love the feeling of eating. Yeah. You want to know something funny that's a little bit off topic from this that I haven't told you about? Have you heard about the 13 or 15 elephants that are loose in China? No. So there's like 13 or 15 or something elephants that are loose in China and there's one leader elephant and they've gone hundreds of miles out of the way and they have like gone into like a city in China and you know these elephants some of them weigh like 60 tons and or not 60 tons I can't remember how many tons a lot of tons they like human beings cannot stop this line single file line of elephants and they're getting into the food there and so they're eating all this sugar so these already huge elephants are gaining more and more weight in china in like mainland china it's a true story it's a true story i heard it on uh the briefing this morning oh, wow. and then like one of the baby <laughs> elephants got into some alcohol and he got drunk and passed out it's a true story that's funny so anyways once you taste that sugar, once you taste that food, oh yeah, even the elephants are falling for it. That's right. And that we're one, not we're not against sugar. We're not I against love yellow. sugar, but uh, but another one too is like seeing violent scenes, and uh, we didn't look it up, but one too is like the statistic on how many violent scenes you've seen by before the age of five, just by watching TV and even being in the room. It's over. It's like. Within the thousands. Yeah, violent scenes you've seen as young kids. And I was even thinking like, yo, Grand Theft Auto. I remember, you know, growing up and we were playing Grand Theft Auto all the time. and Or especially I had a buddy that, that played it and he was, you know. Um, and it's just like the things that you could learn on Grand Theft Auto. It was just, uh, yeah, it's just. Trash. Trash. It was trash. And so. Yeah, it's like you could you could kill whoever you wanted, you know. It's like you could pick up hookers, you could kill the hookers, you could, you know, blow things up, get the cops caught on you, blow them up, and and your mind is just playing games with all these things, and it's a joke. And and I think you know it's like part of me wants to say that oh well you just have to distinguish between what's you know in a video game and what's in the real world, but. I think the problem comes in is that when you start to know things and you start to laugh at them, 
that the lines easily get blurred between video games and the real world. Yeah, because what we see, whether we want to believe it or not, what we are exposed to begin to affect our thoughts. And one of those things that I caught off of the one of the Harry Reader podcasts, he says it a lot, is, you know, it's something along the lines of when something becomes thinkable, it can become laughable or entertaining. When it becomes entertaining, it becomes doable. And really that's what the whole, you know, sexual revolution has done. Um, and it's what even those like violent scenes can do. It just becomes a normal part of our life. But um, another big example, and we might camp out here for a second, would be pornography. And, you know, there's the obvious watching pornography, um, but there's also reading pornography. Um, and it might be a little bit more brushed under the rug and disguised and not seen as pornography. Um, and I, I don't know that this is fully true, but I think a lot of women are probably reading some form of pornography without fully noticing that it's pornography. And I mean, that's something like different kind of novels, like Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I don't know that those are a really big deal anymore, but whatever the equivalent to that is right now. But even something as simple as, you know... Cosmo and how to have better sex because apparently everybody in the magazines are thinking we need to have better sex and they want to describe how to do it on the internet or in a magazine or something like that. And then of course there's there's watching pornography and what it's really doing is nurturing our affections and setting up sexual expectations that are unrealistic and likely not at all what a marriage bed looks like yeah i think that's a, that's a good point like it's a it's this you know pornography is really this fake reality around your fantasies as a yeah i, I don't know about women looking at pornography but i know that men look at pornography it's this fantasy around you around your desires and it's not this sense of when what marriage really truly is is this seeking loving and serving your spouse right experiencing intimacy together pornography just trashes all of that and makes it about you and objectifies women and um and yeah it it changes how your brain is wired that you you think that Sex is aggressive. You think that sex is all about your pleasure. And that women want to have sex with you all the time if they show a tiny bit of cleavage. Yeah. And uh, your your brain gets nurtured to like a certain kind of woman. Yeah. And even think about that for a second. Like if we're talking about what, um, like n- not being able to take back what we know. Like, if we were to completely have purity our entire lives, we would only experience any kind of sexual arousal or sexual thought of our spouse. And so that would be... With our spouse, yeah. Yeah. And so that would be not experiencing the body or the nudity of any other man except for my husband or any other woman except for your wife. And that is sadly almost impossible in... But if it was, I mean, if it, if it did happen, and it, it is possible. 
Well, it's not possible because you drive down the interstate and you see... I see in that regard. Yeah. But But it might be possible to not nurture those thoughts, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, think of the beauty of that. Like, you'd be exploring... For people who are married, you'd be exploring sexuality with your wife and you'd be uncovering her nakedness, knowing her in a way nobody else knows her. And I think your marriage relationship would be so much stronger because it's only you two know this about each other. Yeah, and the only time that you've ever experienced arousal would be with that one person, that one naked body that is not objectified, that is not about making me feel good about myself or giving me pleasure, but it is about loving, serving, and ultimately being a picture of the gospel to one another, of that vulnerability, being fully known, being fully accepted. But, you know, as we've we've said here... When you've looked at pornography, when you have had sex out of marriage, you can't unknow the experience. those things, those experiences. And so there's a lot of examples of what we cannot unknow, and gosh, there are... Tons and tons more of things that we cannot unknow that do affect um, our families, our marriages. But there's also feelings that we can't unknow. And just going back to Eve, something that that just, ugh, it like puts so much weight on me sometimes to really think about is the experience of shame for the first time. And um, like, I don't remember what it was like to feel shame for the very first time, but I know that I hate it when I do feel it. And, you know, our sweet little daughter, she's getting to the point where we're telling her no. And I don't know what feeling she's feeling, but I know that when she feels like, oh, I've done something wrong, she immediately, that little smile, her little frown, her smile turns into a frown. That's and right. she pops she's her lip. And, yeah. and so I don't know, you know, if, that, if, if I have seen her experience shame for the first time and she's just burst into tears or, or what. But I know that it's a horrible feeling. Uh, to experience shame, and just like Adam and Eve did, it makes me want to hide, and it makes me want to run in the opposite direction. So, yeah, I think another one is betrayal. Like we just can't unknow betrayal. We can't unknow what it feels like to betray somebody, mm. and we can't unknow what it feels like to be betrayed by somebody. Yeah, and just think of how that affects marriage, how it affects our lives, that when we've experienced being betrayed, I imagine if you're anything like me, it makes you hard to open up to anybody else ever again. Yeah. And um, and so we tend to wall ourselves off from our spouses, from our families. Uh, and I think the last episode with Ashley was a good uh, you know, picture of that, of like um, the sense of intimacy is so good. And when it's broken... And then it's like, it's just hard to connect again. Yeah. You don't want to be vulnerable with someone else again. That's right. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just the idea of think about if you didn't know what it was like to be betrayed, what a good world we would live in. Yeah. And, uh, and how open and vulnerable you would be. Mm. And so, but we do know what it's like to be betrayed most likely. Yeah. I don't know anybody who does. (laughs) Me either. But, you know, we just listed off a lot of really bad things about knowing things that we wish we didn't know. But for some reason, we still keep on like 
wanting to know things that we shouldn't know. We think the reason for that is. Well, I mean, I think there's definitely, I don't know what it is, but there's definitely a draw. I think our sinful nature draws us toward knowing mm. the unknown. Like we, we want to know and experience what other people are experiencing. We want to experience what they experience and be kind of like one with other people that have had those experiences. And, and I see it, I'm at, my heart is just like, yeah, I want that. Like if everybody is looking at pornography, it's like, yeah, I, I want to know what the talk is about. Right, if everybody is um, overeating, talking about how great it is, I, I want to know what what's going on. If everybody, you know, talking about drugs, like part of me is like, I want to know what's happening. Yeah, so it's and, like uh, there's an allurement side and there's a curiosity side. Like I've never been high before, but like I always have wanted to know what it feels like to be high. That's right. I feel like drunkenness is that way too. It's like, oh, you've never drank before. Oh, you don't know what it feels like to get drunk. Oh. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And you're part of you is just like, yeah, I want to know that. Mm-hmm. And probably some of it is like personality bases on different. We're in the Enneagrams over here in the yeah, little yeah, house. That's right, that's right. And as a seven, like, I really love the feeling of like, I think, I don't know, I think I would really enjoy being high. I don't know, maybe I wouldn't. But so there's always been this curiosity. Anyways. I think another thing is that society kind of talks about how, like, it it almost sees innocence as being a bad thing. Like, I don't know if anyone has ever played the the Ten Fingers game, like, never, ever, have I ever. Um, But, you know, that was something we used to play in the sorority sometimes. And it would end up being like, never, ever, have I ever, fill in the blank with some promiscuous thing. And then if you have done it, you had to put a finger down. And it's like the person who had all their fingers down the quickest. I don't know if I'm explaining this game right, but or well, but it's like, oh man, they have done so much. They are like, you kind of, there's like part of you is like judging them a little bit because they've done so much, but then it's also like, wow, they're cool because they've, they've experienced, experienced so much. And I think too, like the. The idea is that there's life in knowing these things. There's life in experiencing these things. And uh, there's life in experiencing pornography. There's life in drugs. There's life in, you know, alcohol. This is where life is found in experiencing these things. And I think that's part of the lore, too, of like, man, I want to live. I want to experience life. It feels like it's better to know than not to know. That's right. And that's where where life is going to be found if I can just only experience these things Mm -hmm. and know these things. And... uh, but it's at the cost of your innocence. Yeah, like all of those things, when we do learn them, if we're being honest, like a lot of those things bring destruction. Um, they bring chaos. I would say they bring a lot of joy in the short term. Like a lot of well, a lot of quick happiness. Yeah, maybe not joy. Uh, yeah, okay. We got a little distinction between joy and happiness here in our family. But yeah. a lot of happiness in the short term, pleasure in the short term, but destruction in the long term and families are literally destroyed marriages can be destroyed Um, relationships are broken masculinity femininity there is an attack on it Um, but when it all comes back it's like the reality is is that we have all lost our innocence and just like we can imagine kind of what Eve felt if you're like us you probably want back your innocence a little bit 
Um, what does Matthew ten sixteen say? Yeah, I like Matthew ten sixteen. It says, uh, "Yeah, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." Mm. And uh, it's this idea that be innocent, mm. you know, be innocent, but also be wise. See, I, I think there's this distinction of, oh man, like don't being innocent is no fun or something like that or, or, or like not, you're kind of dumb or like like homeschool kids that have never experienced anything like they're innocent and they like have missed out on life right right but but i like the wisdom it's like wise as serpents because a wise person especially men with wisdom would be able to stand up you know with their back straight shoulders back chest proud chest proud and say you know what that's dumb. I'm against that. I hate that. And uh, because I know that that's destruction. That's destructive. Mm. Why in the heck would I want to do that? You know what? And I don't want you to do that because it's going to destroy you. And you find that you're actually this righteous, um, not self-righteous in the point of don't need the gospel, but you're this righteous example of godliness and it's t- being courageous and brave. All the things that being manly is yeah, is built up good. in this this and being womanly wis- and really. womanly. That's right. It's being built up in this wisdom, but it's also being innocent at the same time. It's like yeah, I've not experienced it, and I'm not going to yeah. because I don't want to. And continuing on this theme of innocence, one thing that just I mean, sin has consequences. And our innocence can never fully be restored, and that. I say in this life, no, it's in yeah. In it's this gonna life. be your sin is gonna trail behind you. You're gonna know it. You cannot know it. But, I think through Christ, not I think I know through Christ, innocence can begin to be restored. You know, when we become a Christian, when Jesus' blood covers us and He purifies us, and He makes us righteous in His eyes. Second Corinthians five seventeen, which says, you know, we're made a new creation. And the sanctification process starts, and the more that we abstain from Christ, the more that we, or not abstain from Christ, the more we abstain from sin and pursue Christ, the more our hearts and thoughts grow in line with Jesus, and the more they, our thoughts and our minds grow in line with His design and His goodness. Yeah, and I would say, I've seen in my own life, just the idea of, Healing from sexual sin. And just as time goes on, how my affections are being nurtured more and more and more for my wife. And also that there is this sense of my brain just starts to forget. Not not totally forget, but just begins to... It's in the to, back of the mind, though, instead of the front of the mind. Kinda. That's right. That's right. It's like I still... I still know my sin, but at the same time, there is this, one, there's this freedom in Christ from my sin. Like, I'm no longer, my sin doesn't, um, it's not my identity. Mm. And so there's this freedom from it, even though the knowledge of it still persists in this life. But there is a sense of, I do feel like I'm a lot more innocent now than I was in high school which I know is is probably not the, yeah, I don't know how you rank it up, but it's like I I love innocence more now, and I, I 
probably more of like, yeah, I, I don't know a lot of things that people are doing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just feel more innocent. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's also kind of a humbling thing, like you were saying, to be that man that stands chest proud to say, no, I haven't and I won't experience that. Because um, what we were saying is, like, there's still a temptation to give in to that, to feel like, okay, I'm going to miss out on something. But everything that we're truly longing for is fulfilled in knowing God. Yeah. And and I, I would say, I want, you know, I want to back up and unpack this, you know, healing process. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's because, uh, you know, you said, yeah, like, we're not above it. Like, right. we're not above anything. I'm yeah. not above just falling into drugs. I'm not above adultery. I'm not above all these things. So I have to guard myself from mm. all these things. Yeah. But also, yeah, I've just heard stories of uh, women working in the abortion industry coming out of it mm. and healing. Or women in the sex trafficking industry and coming out of it. Working as a sex worker. And yeah. healing. But that healing process is really a, it's probably a slow process. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's, like you're going to be addicted to pornography and then the next day, like... You're done with it. Never think about it and never be tempted towards it again. That's right. No, I think it's it's a slow, gradual process. But the process involves fighting against, uh, turning away from that sin that's trying to ensnare you and trap you and turn away from it and looking toward Christ and... There is. That's why. And being in community, biblical community that wants good for you, that wants good for your marriage, for your family. Yeah. And so I just want to say to the person that would say, yeah, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I know, what I've experienced, the shame that comes along with it. And yeah, I would say that God knows what you've done and he mm-hmm. knows your experiences. And But yeah, the gospel is so powerful. Mm-hmm. That you can experience redemption as well. Yeah. Just like I am experiencing redemption, that there is redemption that can be found in in knowing the Lord. But that sanctification is not going to be a quick, you know, one and done. It's going to be a gradual life shaping, life changing event. Yeah. It's like it will be a one and done that you are righteous before God and you are pure in his sight but sanctification we will continue to be sanctified until we are face to face with the Lord in in heaven and so it's so good I think we just have to remember that our true fulfillment it comes from knowing God it comes from pursuing him and I don't know what it means but I tell myself this all the time like there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand and you know, that pleasure forevermore doesn't look like sexual pleasure or pleasure that you get from food or alcohol or anything like that. I don't know what it looks like, but it's a biblical promise. And so we can cling to pleasures forevermore yeah. at God's right hand. And I think that's, it's also like, you know, we we're going through this book um, called Sexual Sanity. And one of the things was like, you know, God cannot compete with pornography. He can't compete with it because uh, pornography is this thing that's, instant gratification in the moment Hmm. when your relationship with the Lord is by faith over the long haul. So in the moment, the pleasure is going to be found with pornography, 
But in the long haul, a wasteland will follow. Destruction will follow. And so, but in our relationship with God, it is, there's life found in knowing Christ, but it is this long-term walking with the Lord. And there is these, you know, short terms of feeling the presence of God and being in awe of who God is. But also, you know, I think what's wild about it is that for the Christian, what I know and what is told to me in God's word is that life is found in knowing God mm, and acting good. godly and portraying God as an image bearer to my wife, to my children. That's where life is found. So when people say, hey, there's life here in this experience, check this out. Wisdom would say, no, life is found in knowing God. That's so good. whatever that experience is, I can evaluate it. Like if somebody said, oh man, you need to jump out of a plane and go skydiving. I'd be like, yeah, I probably want to go do that. Like that sounds fun to me. And, uh, and yeah, I would experience it like, man, I, it'd probably be a great time. And, uh, and so I wouldn't necessarily say that's um, disobedience to God. Right. I wouldn't jump say out of an airplane. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily right. say it, okay. it detracts. I mean, I, I people could you know talk to me. I could be well, convinced you, either way. You but. could be. A, you could make it an idol. But you could make anything an idol. But you're just saying there's some experience. Like it, when we go back to that curiosity, that allurement. There's some things that we're curious about. Just like you know, the whole rest of the Garden of Eden was a yes place to explore. Just that one tree was not. You're saying that in this world, there's a lot of good things that we can explore and experience. And they're part of knowing God, knowing God's world, exploring God's world. Right. Okay. And God gets the glory through them. Mm -hmm. And uh, when God is glorified through our exploring of his world and, and I would say that hey, those are, you're free to do those things. Yeah. yeah. So let's double click on that for a second. And how do we know what is good and right and what is like good to think about? And, in my own life, um, I've, I've kind of used Philippians 4, 8, and 9 to help me filter that. And so if, you know, it's thoughts that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, you know, summing it up, if, if this is excellent and worthy of praise, then it is something good for me to think about. And so, or if it leaves me thinking about these things later. So an example of this in my own life, um, I don't, I don't really get on. I don't have Snapchat anymore. But um, a few years ago, when Snapchat was like newer, uh, you know, I was trying to get a lot of followers on Snapchat, and these things called discovery stories came up. I don't know if they still have them. I have no idea how Snapchat works now, but. Um, there used to be these discovery stories and Cosmo had a discovery story on it. And my curiosity, it seemed like every single day I would start clicking through that. And, you know, my curiosity would want to know what does Cosmo have to say? And sometimes it would be, you know, oh, this new TV show, you got to check it out. But sometimes it would be something like really provocative and sexy and like not in a good way. Um, and then, you know, I would read that and it would be in my mind and it, it wasn't pure. It wasn't lovely. It wasn't commendable. It wasn't any of those things. And so for me, it kind of helped me set boundaries to filter some of those things through. Okay. Well, I just need to get rid of Snapchat altogether because I can't handle, like I, 
do not have much self-control apparently with the brownies kind of show that as well but it's like i, just, I shouldn't throw my wife on the bus in the front of this thing but but it's like i just need to get rid of it all like for me that like a boundary i had for filtering it through philippians for uh eight through ten or eight and nine was to just get rid of that app on my phone so that i would not be exposed to that um because it was a stumbling block for me to in, in my thoughts and and things like that and you're at that lens of is it honorable is it worthy of praise yeah is this uh, excellent and worthy of praise and and on a smaller level like you know even doing that in conflict and you know maybe thoughts towards randy and marriage that's not really about can't unknow but even when we let our thoughts go a certain way uh it becomes easier to think that way in the future um and so that's not necessarily unknowing. That's unthinking, which I guess is kind of unknowing. But if I'm constantly not thinking the best of my husband and kind of arguing with him when he's in my head, like when he's not even here, it becomes easier for me to do that time and time again. But if I stop myself and say, I'm going to take this thought captive to the obedience of Christ, this is not excellent and worthy of praise, and I redirect my thoughts, then, you know, it's not natural to do that. It's natural just to let your thoughts go on rabbit trails, but to kind of gain that control over your thoughts is something in this area. Um, when you're trying to have a, a renewed mind, a renewed heart, I think is very, very important. So, um, I guess we're running out of time. So yeah, we just let's talk about some applications. Absolutely. And so, you know, personal applications is be cautious of what you know. Mm. And what you're exposed to, because you cannot unknow certain things. Yeah, and in our family, we use a few filters. Um, probably plugged in movie review is one of the big filters, just a practical thing that we use. Um, and that you can go on. It's a focus on the family puts it out there. You can just type in plugged in movie review in any movie that you're going to see. It will tell you um, any spiritual elements, any sexual elements, any violent elements, any, you know, drug elements. And you can make an educated guess whether you and your family should be watching that movie. Um, another resource that's out there for uh, fighting pornography is Covenant Eyes. So you can check that out. It's an accountability software. Um, but just being cautious of what you know and fighting sin and doing that within community. So on a family level, what do we got? Uh, set boundaries. Have conversations with kids about what they know. Yeah. Um, and be willing to uh, discuss it. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, it can kind of be the uncool thing to set certain boundaries. But just knowing, like, you are serving your kids to protect them from knowing certain things. They don't know this yet. Like, a lot of them, like, that it is, that they can't unknow it. That this knowing will follow them the rest of their lives. And so it's really important for us as parents to protect the minds of our kids by setting boundaries um, to know, yeah. to help them not know what they shouldn't know. That's right. Because I think, you know, ideally we want a culture in our homes of wisdom mm. and innocence. Yeah. And a culture in our homes that love innocence, that love purity. Yeah. So. Yeah. Purity is not the end all be all, but it is how you display Christ. Yeah, to be pure is to be like Christ. That's so right. It's so, good. Yep. Um, well, yeah, we hope that some of this resonated with you. It's something that's been on our mind a lot. Um, that just 
You can't unknow. And a lot of times we want to go back and unknow, but we want to fight to be more like Jesus in our thoughts and our actions. So we appreciate you listening uh, this week to this Reclaiming Families episode, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.